You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It is awkward for almost everybody, and most friendships start awkwardly. One of the biggest things that kept me going is I would literally be sitting in my living room with someone, and I would feel that panic, and I'd be like, it's awkward, it's real awkward, I'm making it weird, and I would say, in my mind, ignore it. Ignore it and get through it, because it's normal. Your life is going to change. Jobs, kids, houses. Are you financially ready to enjoy the ride? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor today because you've got a lot to look forward to. So get excited and be prepared. Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. After you listen to this podcast today, what are you doing? Do you have plans? Maybe work, maybe laundry, maybe a trip to the grocery store. I am going to ask that whatever you were planning to do next, that you bump calling a friend to the top of your to-do list. Just Throw the call on Bluetooth, do it hands-free while you go about your day, but make sure that you actually do it. Why? Because about half of us say that we've lost touch with at least one friend during COVID, according to the recently released American Perspectives survey. And women are having a tougher time with this than men, no surprise. Nearly 60% of us report having lost touch with several friends, and about 16% say that we are simply no longer in regular contact with most of our friends, which is just so sad. And when people are asked how many confidants they have, the most common answer is none. And look, I know it has been a rough couple of years. In many cases, we lost friendships because people were forced to move across the country. The majority of us find close friends through work. So if you've been remote for the last couple of years, then, well, you know, just like I do, that it is so hard to forge natural connections on Zoom. And we just lost so much when we were unable to grab lunch together or dish over a cup of coffee. And when we do feel a lack of connection in our lives, it's a recipe for loneliness and depression. There is a physical cost to our health as well. Loneliness has been documented to be as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And a study in the Journal of Clinical Oncology showed women with early-stage breast cancer were four times more likely to die from that cancer if they didn't have many friends. Those with a larger friend group had a much better survival rate. Of course, it's not quantity that really matters here. I think most of us would much rather have three very close connections than, say, 10 acquaintances. But it's a concern when many of us report struggling with all types of our friendships, which is why on today's show, we're going to dive into a discussion about strengthening the bonds that we have and maybe even forging some new ones. And we're doing it with Amy Weatherly and Jess Johnston. They are co-authors of the new book, I'll Be There, But I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants. 
finding unfiltered real-life friendships in this crazy, chaotic world. Amy's in Texas with her husband, three kids, and two rescue dogs, one of which she just put away. Thank you, Amy. And Jess is in Southern California, where she lives with her husband and four kids. And they're both award-winning journalists who created the Sister I Am With You online community, a space where millions of women get real about friendship every single day. Amy and Jess, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Amy, let me start with you. Tell me about the book. I just love the title. Thank you. I always tell people, I'm like, I don't know that we'll ever beat this title. I mean, it's got sweatpants in it, you know, and it sets the bar really low for what people expect from us, which is great. (laughs) Where do they come from? It feels kind of like a random text message to me. Well, okay. The honest truth is we have this title because the publisher didn't like our first one. (laughs) Which was what? Now you have to tell me. It was was Sister I Am With You, which is our community. And they were like, no, we don't think that's the book's title. And we're like, oh, we sort of built our whole careers based on that. But (laughs) so it just became a challenge. I love words and wordplay. So it became a challenge to come up with something new and fresh and fun and I imagine when I came up with it, I was probably wearing sweatpants. That is probably what was on my head is, you know, you wear sweatpants a lot. Let's see if we can incorporate that. Jess, you guys met via the Internet three years Mm -hmm. ago. You've become friends in real life. Can you tell me how that worked? And do you think the Internet is going to be the path, the way that we make friends in the future? I think that we just have to be open to where friends might be coming from. I think keeping an open mind is a big part of that. Amy honestly just pursued me. We like to say she slid into my DMs and was like, hey, girl. Honestly, she pursued me. And that's a lot of what our book is about, too, is taking that risk and pursuing and being the kind of friend that you want to have. And Amy honestly did that with me. And she was just intentional. And she pursued me and started the conversation. And pretty soon we went from Instagram messages to hour-long conversations on the phone. I was usually running. Amy was usually driving her kids somewhere. And we just really got deep really quickly with setting aside that time to talk together. And then we were both very keep-it-real kind of people. And so we Mm -hmm. quickly dove into the topic of friendship because, I don't know, as adults, friendship is one of the hardest things I think – and complicated things that I think we walk through. And so we quickly started talking about that and just realized that we'd both struggled with a lot of loneliness and we both felt that friendship was one of the most important things in our lives. So how do we get there and how do we help other people get there? So you offer a roadmap to authentic friendships in the book, as you were saying, Jess, a way to actually get there. But let me just challenge you on the difficulty of it all. I mean, I think those of us who sort of grew up making friends at school, then making friends in the dorm, then making friends at work have this perception that friendship is something that should just come naturally. Amy, why is it necessary to, as Jess said, pursue pursue somebody that you want to be friends with? And how how do you do it without coming off as a stalker? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you definitely have to be intentional. And so with Jess, honestly, you know what I like to tell people? A great way to start a conversation is to compliment someone. Nobody hates a compliment. So that really was the conversation with Jess started with me saying, hey, I love the way you write. I like the way you run. Jess had a blog at that time. And I really like the way that you do things. I like your approach. I think we're similar. And I'd love to work together in some capacity. So it honestly started with kind of just me wanting to praise her and encourage her and lift her up. And I think that's important for us to do with each other. And you you don't know where the conversation is going to go. You don't know if they're even going to respond. You're always risking rejection anytime you open up to somebody, but it's worth it when it does work out. But it's just important because we're not around people the same way we were when we were in school. When we were in school with someone, we see each other multiple times a day. So it becomes very natural to talk to these people. And when we're in our houses or we're in our cubicles or we're running errands, we're typically alone. We're not running into the same people over and over and over. So it's really important to be intentional and get yourself out there, join a class, join yoga, join a book club, whatever it is, and kind of start a routine. And then you start with, hey, hello, a compliment, be willing to put yourself out there, and then you just see where it goes from there. It sounds very natural. And for those of us, look, I'm on the radio, and I'm on my podcast, and I write about my own life. But when it comes down to actually meeting and talking to people, people are sometimes surprised to hear that I'm actually a little reserved, right? I'm kind of shy. I don't put myself out there as much as I probably should. And I admire those people who have managed to create these really, really deep friendships and hold on to them for many years. My producer, Catherine, is just like that. She's a connector. My mother is like that. We moved growing up time and time and time again. And my mother has these long-lasting friendships from all of these different places that we lived. So I'd love a couple of examples, a couple of additional actionable steps that people like me can take to not just say hello, start a conversation, can we have lunch? Like, I can do that. But to get from there to the deeper friendships. Jess, you want to dive in? Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I am an extroverted, outgoing person, but I struggled with a lot of fear before I made the deep friendships that I have in my life. And I really felt like I wasn't empowered to go find friendships that I just kind of needed to wait for. If someone wanted to be my friend, they would pursue me. And so I was really scared to put myself out there. I think one of the biggest things with starting to get deep with someone is to ignore the awkward. Because I don't know about you, but when I feel that awkward feeling, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I'm bad at this. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I I should not be allowed in public anymore. (laughs) Like, But the truth is, is that It is awkward for almost everybody, and most friendships start awkwardly. And there's no way around it. So I think one of the big, I know one of the biggest tools for me as I was getting to a deeper place in my friendships, because I made this decision, I'm going to start being intentional because I know I need this in my life and I'm going to force myself to do it scared. One of the biggest things that kept me going is I would literally be sitting in my living room with someone and I would feel that panic and I'd be like, it's awkward. It's real awkward. I'm making it weird. And I would say in my mind, ignore it, ignore it and get through it because it's normal. 
And that became like my mantra. And it's true because it's awkward as you're getting deep with someone, but that time that you spend is worth it and it gets more and more natural. I was actually thinking about even Amy and I's friendship. Like now we call each other and we just drive straight in. I'm like, well, the kids were insane this morning. We never really end our conversation. It's just like sort of a fluid conversation throughout our days that just continues on and on. And now it is so natural and normal. I don't have a single thought like, oh, was that weird that I said that? Was that strange? Like, what was I even saying? I don't have those thoughts anymore. But the only thing that got me there was just wading into the awkward and just continuing on even when it felt weird and believing that this isn't something that's wrong with me. It's just part of making deep friendships. You agree, Amy? Yes, it's very awkward. So I would classify myself as a really friendly introvert. I'm kind of an ambivert. So I come off as really friendly and perky and I love people. But during the conversation, I am awkward. I'm also, I, I very awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Which you can tell by that. But I don't think people always know that about me right away. But it's that afterwards I go through and I'm reassessing that conversation. And I'm like, I cannot believe you said that. And there are so many times where it's so funny to me where I wish I was more reserved. I wish I was quieter. I wish I was just like had that calm presence. So it's just funny to me. I want people to know that we all have something to give. We Mm -hmm. all do. I think what really, really helped me is that I was really insecure. And I remember going into conversations and thinking the goal was for them to like me. And that the goal was to make sure they liked me, make sure I was coming off the right way. When really, I think the goal is one, to be myself and it's going to stick or it's not, but I'd rather be myself. And that happened. And two, the real goal is to make the other person feel liked. The goal is to Mm -hmm. really encourage and build them up. And to Mm -hmm. do that, you kind of have to get over your own insecurities, that feeling of, I am messing this up. Something is wrong with me. You kind of have to push that down and go, no, I want to build this person up. I want to encourage them. I want to connect with them. So kind of flipping that switch of, okay, maybe this isn't about convincing people to like me. Maybe this is about learning to enjoy the presence of who they are. Yeah. I think too, on that same note, a big thing for me that switched is I was like, if I was going to go spend some time with a new friend, I was like, I am not that interesting. I mean, what have I even done today? I just like clean my house and wrangle kids and make snacks. Like there's nothing cool about me. But I also flipped that switch that I didn't need to be fascinating. I needed to be fascinated with the other person and dig into them and ask good questions and find out who they are. And that really switched it in my mind. I'm listening to you talk about friendships and awkwardness and these conversations, and I think we could slide the word money right in there, right? Because, I mean, and that's what we talk about on this show all the time, that we don't have these conversations about money. We feel awkward about money. We feel like we're making mistakes with our money. I mean, her money exists so that women have this safe and welcoming place to discuss finances, it never really occurred to me that we would need that same kind of place to discuss our friendships. But that's what Sister I'm With You is. Exactly. Why do you think that women are drawn to it? What are the most common threads that you see 
in your community? Gosh, I think one of the biggest things is that we often think when we're struggling with something, and I'm sure you see this with money too, that we're the only one and that there's something wrong with us. So we missed the class in high school that covered adult friendship. Everyone else got it somehow and we missed it. And everybody else has close friendships naturally and we're just the odd man out. So when we talk about and we expose that, no, actually it is difficult. Actually it is awkward. Actually it's uncomfortable. Most people go through friendship breakups. Most people deal with all these things that I think that the consensus we hear over and over is, I thought I was the only one. I'm so relieved that it's not just me. And that just opens up the conversation. Let's talk about this in a real way. And let's get there together because we're in this together. We're not on our own. We're not the only ones struggling. We're in this together. So let's figure it out. A hundred percent. I want to talk about mixing friendship and money just to throw a wrinkle into the conversation. But before I do that, let me just remind everybody that life comes at you really fast. There could be wedding bells on the horizon, a promotion around the corner, a child or a grandchild on the way. Are you financially prepared for everything that life has in store? If you've got a well-crafted financial plan, you can be ready. And that's what the folks at Edelman Financial Engines do. So visit plan EFE, EFE, like edelmanfinancialengines.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor. Basically, you'll work with an expert to review your current situation, to develop a long-term strategy, to help you embrace life's biggest moments. So it's important, schedule your free appointment today. I am talking with Amy Weatherly and Jess Johnston, authors of I'll Be There, But I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants. You're singing my song, ladies. <laughs> Let's talk about money and friendships. First of all, when you are with the women in your community, does this conversation come up? The fact that the playing field is sometimes really uneven or that you grow at different rates financially than your friends. And all of a sudden, these people that you came out of college with and everybody was on the same playing field, one has a lot more money than another one has. How do you see that manifest itself in the community? Amy? It has actually been a, a there's been a tense moment in my friendship where there were some insecurities, I think, on one party that just felt like they couldn't keep up and felt like, well, I can't go on that trip. I can't go. And if I miss out on that trip, then I'm missing out on the friendship. And it's a hard thing to talk about. It was a hard thing to bring to the table because you have to be honest with it. But if you really care about somebody and you're really good friends, then the point isn't what hotel are we staying at? The point is, are we going to spend time together? The point isn't which restaurant are we going to? The point is, are we spending time together eating? And so I think it is really important for both parties to just be very honest with where they are financially and what they can do so that you can kind of work on that together and understand where each other is coming from. Jess, for you, have you had situations in your own life or your own friendships where it got awkward about the finances? Well, what comes to mind immediately is when we were in a season of just not having a lot. Things were tough financially. And it was right when we were 
starting to build our friendships. We made this intentional decision like, okay, we need friends. So we're going to actively pursue friendships. And I remember feeling insecure about that because I'm like, I don't have a lot of money to like host big fancy parties. But I had this aha moment where I was like, you know what? I can get creative with this. I can get creative and I can invite people into my home and I can still make it really warm and really fun. And during that season, we did something called the potato party. And we started doing potato parties with our friends once a week. What's a potato party? Okay. So, well, I, I made this up. I baked a ton of potatoes and then everybody brought different toppings and I had different toppings. And we, it was like a potluck dinner kind of thing. And we just had the best time ever. I say that to say I don't think that we can get creative with it. It doesn't have to be a fancy big to-do to get together. We don't have to go to a fancy restaurant. We don't have to impress people to have a really good time. That we can just work with what we have. Another time we had sold our house and we were living in a camper mm-hmm. and we put a picnic table under a tree and put some lights in the tree and we invited our friends over and they came and sat at the picnic table with us under the tree and we had a fire and sat around the fire. I guess I would just encourage people to invite friends into their life as is and not overthink that I need to impress or I need to have a lot. Most people just really want connection too. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need anything fancy. Like we just all want connection. And when people invite me over and they're like, here's a paper plate and some pizza, I'm like, heck yes. Like it doesn't have to be a big production. I think that's what really throws us off in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think it's important to know there may be things like I know there have been trips that my husband and I have had to miss out on because we just couldn't afford them. It wasn't in our budget. And it's not fun to miss out on that, but that's okay. It's okay. And you know, you said in the very beginning that it's about quality and not quantity. And that's so important to remember is that, is everybody going to come to, you know, the pizza night that you have with $5 Little Caesars pizza where when my husband and I, you know, when we were out of school, that's what we, we had Little Caesars pizza. That's what we could do. Was everybody coming to those parties? No, but a few did. A few showed mm-hmm. up. And we've done nights where it's everybody bring your own meal and then we'll get together and play cards. And those are some of the funnest nights I have ever had. And they cost very little, very little, but it is the gift. Just like you said in the beginning, like all this research of how lonely people are, people are lonely and they're craving this. Your friendship is a gift, whatever form it comes offered in. It does not have to look like Pinterest. It doesn't have to be Instagram where they, your friendship is a gift. The other investment that we're talking about is time, right? We're talking yes, about an investment absolutely. of money, but an investment of time. Yes. A communication studies professor named Jeffrey Hall is a friendship researcher, and he estimates it takes 94 hours to make a casual friend, 164 hours to become a friend friend, and over 200 hours to become a close friend. And he said leisure time spent together is especially important. So I have many, many questions about this. But A, we're in a pandemic. Yes, we're coming out of it, but we're like in a pandemic where it's been really hard to spend time with people in their company. What does that look like today? And can Zoom count? I mean, Amy and I have forged our whole friendship mostly 
through calls, through texts, through voice texts, through FaceTime. And then we have gotten to get together for a few times. But the second time we got together was actually right when everything shut down. Like it kind of shut down around us. So there was a long stretch of time where we weren't able to get together in person. But I mean, we have definitely been able to build that. How do you carve out time for your friendships? I mean, you've got four kids, right? Amy, you've got a busy household too. How do you, and you work, you run this website, you wrote a book, which I know is not easy. How do you make time? I think you're just, you have to be very, very intentional and kind of we have to shift our thinking because I think for a lot of us, we feel like friendship is selfish because we're not hustling, we're not making money. We're not working. We're not spending that time on our family. So we feel like friendship is selfish and we feel like friendship is a luxury. Like it's just something extra. And if we have time for it, okay, but it's not something we're willing to make time for. But if we can shift our thinking to say, no, I was very much, all of us are wired for connection with each other. It's damaging to who we are as people to be lonely, to feel that loneliness. Our lives are better and richer and fuller and full of more joy when we have other people. So we shift our thinking from going, friendship isn't a luxury. It's not something I want. It's honestly something I need. And it's not selfish of me to have friends. That is a basic human need is for us to connect with each other. So you shift your thinking and you put it on the top of your list. And when you prioritize something, you spend time there And you sort of like safeguard it. You know, traditions are a huge deal. Like even like a tiny tradition. My friends and I have Tuesday coffee every Tuesday. Like we picked out a day. Hey, Tuesday, is that, does everybody have a little bit of time free on Tuesday? We did. And so, and two of us work, some of us are stay at home, but we're all busy in our own way. But we carve that time out. And every single Tuesday without fail, we get together for coffee. And that's like our own little sacred tradition. And it's just those little like rituals of making something a repeated pattern. They just really help forge that friendship and push it forward. Yes. When you talk about being intentional, it makes me think about the apps that now exist for finding friends, right? I mean, Bumble has taken a turn and we can now use it not just to find people to date. We can use it to find friends. What do you think about that, Jess? I love it. I love that there are new ways to find friends. I love it. And the cost? The cost of using these sort of newfangled tools in order to put yourself out there in the world. Is that just something you factor into your budget? I think you've got to look at your life and be like, okay, what works for me? Because we can't look at it as this blanket thing of, okay, well, Amy is doing Tuesday coffee. I have to do that. We need to figure out something that works in our lives and do it consistently. So if that is, okay, it doesn't work for me to go out and try and find and meet people, then yes, I say an app is a great way to invest. Or if it doesn't work the way we really started our deep friendships, which was years ago, but we started having one night a week that we did dinner. We invited people over for dinner just to foster these friendships. If that doesn't work, then maybe it's like you said at the beginning of the show, maybe it's taking 10 minutes to call a friend while you're out doing laundry or you're running errands or whatever it is. It's finding something that you can do and doing it consistently. And yes, it's worth the investment, whether that's time, whether that's money, whatever that is, 
I think what Amy was saying is important that it's not a luxury. It's really important for our health and our well-being that we have close friendships in our life. So what can we do to cultivate that? And how do we prioritize it? Last question. It's inevitable that sometimes we're going to feel like we're the bad friend. How do we make things right when we've done something wrong? Amy? Well, I think there are a couple things. And the first thing is we've got to get really good at apologizing. We need to be really good at admitting when we have messed up and kind of pushing our ego down. Our ego gets in the way a lot. Our ego gets in the way of our friendships and our relationships because we get defensive and our sort of go-to is like, well, I didn't mess up. You just took it the wrong way and we get mad. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not going to work. We have to sort of look at the situation from a bird's eye view and from that other person's perspective and go, okay, I can see why they're hurt. I can see why they're upset. And one, you get good at apologizing and be genuine and humble in the way that you do it. And two, this one's honestly hard to swallow. That person may choose not to have a friendship with you anymore. And Mm -hmm. that is in their rights. That is their right. You cannot force them to want to make amends. You can't force them to continue that friendship. It's sort of They have the right to choose to pick it back up or to put it down. So I'm really big on controlling what you can control. You can't control their response. You control your heart. You control how you respond to what you've done. And you can control to what you learn going forward. So apologize. And then they get to make, kind of make their decision. You know, we're, we're all the bad guy in somebody's story. And that's just the truth of it. It's hard to swallow, but it's true because we can't change their opinions, but we just have to know in our heart that we did everything we could to make it right and that we will change and we'll do better going forward. But we're humans, so we mess up. Once again, change a couple of words and you could be talking about money. Control what you can control is one of our mantras around here. Amy Weatherly, Jess Johnson. The book is I'll Be There, But I'll Be Wearing Sweatpants, Finding Unfiltered Real-Life Friendships in This Crazy, Chaotic World. Thanks so much for a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes. This is wonderful. Absolutely. We'll be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. Her Money is supported by BCU. I'm always happy to say that. BCU, for the record, is a credit union one of the leading credit unions in the country, and they understand that financial freedom doesn't happen at one single point in your life, but rather at many different stages all throughout your life. And that's why BCU is here today for your tomorrow with support available at every stage of your financial journey. If you've been thinking about joining a credit union, you can find out if you're eligible for BCU at www.bcu. And Catherine Tuggle is with me in the studio. Can I say that louder? This feels so good. I know. Catherine and I have been remote for such a long time. We are together in studio, looking at each other across a table. You look beautiful, by the way. I I just I don't know another person to whom the pandemic has been so kind. You're too kind. You know, I got to say, I really made use of the hours in the day when I wasn't commuting and whatnot. I've been doing a lot more yoga. And I was going to tell you, I'm doing my 300-hour certification this fall. That so is then so I will exciting. be officially a 500-hour level teacher. So I mean, I've only done one session with you. 
so far, but you are an amazing teacher. That is so kind. Well, um, I'm officially Her Money's requisite yoga teacher. And when we have our Her Money retreats at some soon. point soon in the future, Catherine will guide us all through sessions to make us feel zen and flexible <laughs> and all yoga'd out. Thinking about a retreat is a nice thing to think about in an episode about friendship because we do have such a close-knit team and I'm really excited for us to be together and in a position where we can form those closer bonds than we've been able to for the last two years. And we know that when we get a group of women together in a room to talk about money, that in and of itself is special. It's something that we've been doing in our finance fix classes. The small groups that we put together for those finance fix classes, they're about 15 women who really become this tight-knit unit through the course of the eight-week program. And so if you've been thinking about getting your budget in line, if you've been thinking about the fact that you just need a little support, yeah, I think Finance Fix is a great place to start. It's Finance Fix with two X's, financefix.com, but you can also get all the information at hermoney.com. Yeah. And we've heard from so many participants how powerful of an experience it is. And I think that it is that group that you're going through the courses with because we know talking about money is stressful, but we also know that doing stressful things with friends, with a like-minded community, suddenly removes that level of stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. 100%. I know we've got questions. I want to dive into those. Yeah, we do. Our first question today comes to us from Lisa. She writes, Hi, Jean. I took one of your classes a while back. You spoke about an investment that many women do in their 50s or 60s where they have a chunk of money that they invest knowing that they'll be selling those investments in the future. You'd set it up where they get a certain amount of money back every month to live on. Unfortunately, I can't find my notes on the product that you talked about. Could you please offer some more information on this strategy? So it's a little tough to parse what she's asking. I, Lisa, what I think you're talking about is an immediate annuity. And I think you're mixing apples and oranges a little bit with the part about knowing they'll be selling those investments in the future. But an immediate annuity is basically a way to buy a paycheck that will last you the rest of your life. You take a chunk of money. Often it's a chunk of money that you have put aside for retirement. And you use it to buy a monthly paycheck that will last as long as you live or as long as you live and your spouse lives. You can structure it in a number of different ways. They're very interesting right now because interest rates are going up. And the amount that an annuity pays is based on your age. It's based on the amount of money that you're putting to work, but it's also based on the interest rate. And so as interest rates rise, payouts on these immediate annuities will also rise. So it's an interesting time to give them a good look. And I've talked about them in the context of my own life because I like knowing that my fixed costs will be covered with guaranteed income, with income that I know is not subject to the whims of the market. And so everybody should, while they're retired, have money in the market for growth, 
we need that because we live such a long time these days. But knowing that your fixed costs are covered, I think, is just a way of reducing the amount of financial stress in your life. And I like an immediate annuity for those purposes. Yeah, we hear that so many times. To have your fixed expenses covered is just such a load off in the same vein as having your house paid off. Exactly. And there are some people who disagree with that strategy, who believe you should always have a mortgage because especially now the rates that you pay on a mortgage are still very low in historic terms. But there is the emotional side of the equation as well. Yep. Our next question comes to us from Christine. She writes, Hi, Jean. I have a question that I've gotten different answers to, and I'm hoping you might have some direction. I'm a freelance court reporter. I have health insurance from the state, Obamacare. I pay a monthly premium. What I would like to do is set up group insurance with my fellow court reporters and get a group discount without going through Obamacare. I was told by three healthcare brokers that I can't do this because it has to be set up where I'm paying the group as if I were an employer. Then I came across one healthcare broker located in New York who told me anyone can actually do it. I would be the administrator and she would be the broker. I checked her out and she was legit and licensed. Have you ever heard of anyone doing this before? Who else should I reach out to in order to find out more and get more specifics? P.S. I wrote to the state of New York but never got a response back. Thank you so much for your help. So you ask a number of really, really good questions here, Christine, and I think the whole question hinges on the word freelance. When we talk about group policies, we're usually talking about a group of employees. And because they're more in number than solo practitioners, they qualify for group rates because they're leveling the risk. That said, there are things called affinity groups. And my suggestion would be that you ask this healthcare broker what insurer she's going through, and then you call that insurer directly. I'm not suggesting you cut out the middleman. If she's doing the legwork, she's putting this policy together for you, she's dealing with all the paperwork, by all means, she should get paid. But I'd like to see you talk to the insurance company directly to make sure that you're not just wasting your time. Because I've gone down the road um, on some wild goose chases before only to find out that, you know, I just spent two, three months on this. I just got everybody excited about this. And P.S. It's just not possible. I think the insurer will be able to give you a more definite answer about whether you and your fellow freelance court reporters can be treated as some sort of affinity group. And I think if you ask the question in that way, you'll get the appropriate answer. There used to be a group called the Freelancers Union that was providing health insurance in this way. And unfortunately, they don't do it anymore. The other thing, though, that I would also mention is that at least throughout the rest of this year, the rates because they're subsidized on Affordable Care Act policies that you get through the exchange are pretty good. And so I don't know that you're going to do so much better by finding yourself a group policy for this year, at least. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's such a complicated picture, Jean. And I know you just went through it, you know, finding health insurance for her money. And it is not easy for anyone, no matter who you are. Right. And we're a small employer. And what we did was to join something called a PEO. A PEO is a professional employer organization. And so basically, you become a de facto employee of this company even while you're still working for your smaller employer. And it's a way for small companies like ours to get the HR and other services that we need. So the 401k, the health insurance, the policies in written form that are so important these days as we try to navigate the working world in 2022. And so I don't know that that is necessarily a solution for her, but maybe you and your fellow court reporters decide to start a small company and then it could be. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Jean. Thanks, Catherine. And in today's Thrive, yes, it's possible to blow your wedding budget, but it's also possible to avoid it. Picture it. You're on a dress shopping extravaganza with your mom, maybe your girlfriends, flutes of champagne are all around. But the thing is, you're an outdoorsy, casual kind of gal, but you have been swept up in the messaging that today is extra special. And sticking to that budget that you set for the dress suddenly seems like less of a priority. Unfortunately, it's not just the dress. The cost of a wedding can take off like a runaway train if you're not careful. So as you and your partner brainstorm about your wedding, it's important to ask yourself what you care about the most. Is it the band? Is it the photography? Is it the venue? Or do you just want to get married? Because these questions will help inform whether you have a 30-person brunch after a morning ceremony with a justice of the peace or a 200-person ballroom blowout. At HerMoney.com, we break down the nine common ways people are blowing their wedding budgets. They're doing it all the time. But here are just a few of my favorites. For starters, don't make out a guest list that you can't afford. It's easy to get wrapped up in feeling obligated to invite people. But Adding people increases not just food and drink, but the number of tables, the number of centerpieces. Try hard to stick with your original count. Next, there's failing to negotiate. People don't talk about it much, but it's worth negotiating with your vendors. Just because a vendor estimates what their price is going to come in at doesn't mean it's not negotiable. Ask the vendor what they can do to stick within your budget. Last But not least, there is photography. Videography and photography can get very expensive very fast. Do you need someone to capture the entire day on film, or do you just want some quality group shots and candid? Try to think through what's most meaningful to you. And no matter what you do, stand your ground with your budget and don't get upsold. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Amy and Jess for the candid conversation about friendship and the ties that strengthen us more than we know. 
If you're looking to grow your inner circle, I hope that you'll check out hermoney.com. We feel like we're making friends there all the time. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk soon.